Welcome to Middle East Matters, a new podcast from the Middle East Initiative at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. My name is Tarek Massoud. I'm a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and the faculty director of the Middle East Initiative. In this podcast, we'll bring you conversations with scholars, newsmakers, and artists from one of the world's most exciting and dynamic regions, the Middle East. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, please be sure to subscribe to Middle East Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular streaming services. You can also find our episodes on our website at belfercenter.org MEI. And please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Middle East underscore HKS. In this episode of Middle East Matters, Karim Haggag and I spoke to Dr. Ayyad Alawi, the former Prime Minister of the Republic of Iraq. The conversation happened in the run-up to the 2020 U.S. presidential election, and unsurprisingly, Dr. Alawi had some interesting thoughts about what was at stake for his country in the contest between then-candidate Joe Biden and then-President Donald Trump. Take a listen. Before we introduce our guest, uh, Ayyad Alawi, the former vice president and former interim prime minister of Iraq, let me explain for our viewers and our listeners what it is we are up to in these conversations. The conversation we're about to have uh, today is actually the fourth installment in a series of conversations that we've been having with Arab thought leaders, politicians, and intellectuals on the state of not just the Arab world, but actually of the United States of America. It's our belief that everybody, and especially Americans, can learn a lot about this moment in American politics by hearing from people who have a different perspective on the events. And we believe that the perspective on American events that is represented in the Arab world is one that most Americans really need to have. Uh, As everybody knows, the fate of the Arab world and the politics of the Arab world have really become central political issues in the United States. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict, the fate of Iraq, the Arab Spring, all of these things are regularly debated by presidential candidates and politicians. And so much of what happens in the Arab world may not quite be made in America, but it is certainly assembled out of some American components. And that means that Arabs actually have a lot to say about America's politics and the directions in which it should go. This series uh, began with the former Egyptian foreign minister, Nabil Fahmi, and we've had discussions with the uh, distinguished Emirati intellectual, Abdul Khaliq Abdullah, the Kuwaiti journalist, uh, Ahmed Shahabuddin. Last week, we were supposed to meet with uh, the Palestinian legislator and spokeswoman, Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, but unfortunately, that session has had to be postponed on account of her uh, contracting an illness, from which I'm pleased to say she's recovering, and so I'm hopeful we'll be able to reschedule that session soon. But to introduce today's distinguished guest, let me turn things over to my trusted co-pilot in these conversations and my colleague, uh, Ambassador Karim Haggag, professor of the practice uh, of the, at the American University in Cairo School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Ambassador Haggag. Thank you, Tarek. And it's my distinct pleasure to introduce our 
for today's conversation, uh, Dr. Ayad Alawi. Dr. Ayad Alawi was born to a prominent merchant family in Iraq, where he studied at Baghdad Medical School and graduated from Baghdad University with a degree in medicine. He later went on to complete his master's in science at London Medical University and obtained his PhD in medicine from Guy's Hospital, London University. He was politically active since 1968 in Iraqi politics, founding the Iraqi National Accord as an opposition movement to Saddam Hussein's regime. Dr. Alawi survived several assassination attempts, one of which left him unable to practice rheumatology, and this prompted him to move into private trade and also to conduct extensive work with the UNDP, UNICEF, and the World Health Organization. Now, of course, Dr. Alawi played a central role in post-war Iraqi politics. In 2004, Dr. Alawi served on Iraq's interim governing council and was unanimously elected by the council to become Iraq's first post-war prime minister. In that capacity, Dr. Alawi held both executive and legislative powers. And in that capacity, he oversaw the first elections in Iraq after the war, which resulted in the peaceful transfer of power in 2005. In 2010, the Iraqiya bloc, headed by Dr. Alawi, was declared the winner of national elections conducted during that year. Dr. Alawi still leads the Iraqi National Accord, a national political party that promotes a civil state serving democracy and stability in the wider Arab and Islamic world. He remains actively engaged in Middle East politics and, of course, Iraqi politics, and currently, he heads the Wataniya Coalition, a national cross-sectarian political bloc that will contest the next national election uh, in Iraq. Dr. Alawi, thank you for taking the time to join us uh, in this conversation. Thank you, Ambassador. You, you did it best, better than me, <laughs> the background. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, so, Dr. Alawi, we, we uh, of course want to focus in our discussion with you today on uh, your view of American politics and American foreign policy, and especially uh, the relationship between the United States and Iraq from your perspective. But if I could start by a very direct question about the upcoming presidential elections, which is now five days away. In your view, what, is, what are the stakes for Iraq in this election? The most important stake really is the domination of Iran and partly Turkey on the Iraqi affairs. And without the support of the international community, it will be very difficult for Iraq to resist the, the, the Iranian domination, as well as the Turkish interference in, in Iraq's affairs, especially vis-a-vis -vis the north of Iraq, Kurdistan and, and Mosul also Nainawa, the province of Nainawa, where we have a, a big contingent of Turkish uh, army present there in Bashiqa, in an area called Bashiqa. This is number one. Number two, Iraq, unfortunately, because of the corruption, huge corruption, is almost uh, regarded now as a very, very depressed country financially, although it had the means, it had the capabilities. 
but it is uh, re relying on foreign support and foreign and, and then the, uh, the World Bank as well as the International Monetary Fund. And the, the, uh, the elections in America will be very useful to us because without the help of the international community, it's going to, to be very difficult for Iraq to bypass this, uh, this current stage where it is passing through, where we have foreign domination, a weakness, economic weakness, and we have the, 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 the rift of the, of the other problems in the, in the Middle East, and indeed the, the, uh, the problems occurring between America and Iran, between the international community and Iran, between Russia and the, uh, America, and so on. And Iraq is becoming the, 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 the area of theater for conflict and, and, and all this. That's why we are very much in need of the, of the help of the international community. And don't forget, my friend, Mr. Ambassador, that the United States have a, a moral, political, as well as indeed a legal co uh, commitment to Iraq, to support Iraq. Uh, to pass through this uh, this difficult phase, but we we are looking forward to the to the elections in America, and who is going to achieve supremacy ultimately by the will of the of the of the people of the United States, and we will take it from there. We definitely are preparing for visits to the United States after the elections to expand and discuss the issues that are bewildering Iraq and hindering the the progress of Iraq and the progress of stability in Iraq. Dr. Alewi, it, I think it's very interesting uh, what you said about the United States having a political and moral uh, commitment uh, and legal commitment. Uh, but would you agree that uh, the relationship between the United States and Iraq lately has been somewhat uh, less than consistent? I mean, just recently, the, the Trump administration threatened to close the American embassy in Baghdad if the Iraqi government does not take serious steps to contain the threat of pro-Iranian militias. And of course, th this came after what was perceived to be a very successful visit by Prime Minister Al-Qazimi uh, to Washington, where several agreements uh, were reached, uh, including an agreement uh, to draw down uh, the number of American forces uh, in Iraq. Do you see this uh, as uh, a signal from the United States that it is becoming less committed to Iraq's stability? It's absolutely a clear signal that's becoming less committed to, to Iraq. And that's why I say the United States and America have a lot of uh, significant responsibilities, legal and moral and so on. Unfortunately, uh, <clears throat> the 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 balance starting towards Iran rather than remaining with Iraq and the sovereignty of the of Iraq was helped by the Americans and the Americans when they uh, committed a lot of mistakes during occupation, including uh, abolishing the the institutions of Iraq like the army and the intelligence and the the judiciary and so on really helped a lot the, the, the Iranians to, to infiltrate gradually, steadily and progressively the, the Iraqi system and get control ultimately the way that it is now controlling the country. 
even the funding for Iran, a lot of it, uh, I would say at least 30 to 40 percent comes from Iraq, from siphoning money from Iraq through the various processes. That's why the Americans, it's very important for them. This is uh, a, a significant step when they withdrew, when they wanted to withdraw from Iraq. But we know, as well as I think everybody knows, that certain areas in Iraq, they wouldn't uh, want to shed and relinquish, especially Ayn al-Assad and then Kurdistan, Iraq, and so on. Because there are lots of conflicts ongoing in the region. And these conflicts are only uh, really will, will grow bigger and more severe in the, in the near future. That's why I think it's, it's a mistake committed by the United States if they agree. Calvary was under pressure from various, especially from the, from the militias when he came to Washington. And because they want the Americans to withdraw, he had to make this judgment of, of necessary to, to draw down on the, on the presence of the American soldiers in Iraq. But uh, I think uh, <clears throat> both are mistaken. The government of Iraq is mistaken, and also the, the United States government is mistaken. Without a real commitment, Iran is going to destroy the whole region, not only in Iraq, but the, the whole region really. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Vice President, let me ask you a, a, a follow-up question on this that's intended a little bit to try to corner you. So uh, Ambassador Haggag mentioned the Trump administration's wavering on its support for Iraq. Uh, President Trump's rival is the former Vice President Joe Biden, who you might remember uh, was the one of the people who floated the idea that perhaps Iraq was ungovernable as a single unitary state and maybe partition was a, a solution to its problem. So I'm, I guess I'd like you to tell me between these two candidates, one who suggested partitioning the country, the other who basically won the presidency because he said the United States should never have uh, ousted Saddam Hussein in the first place, which of these two do you support? Me? Yeah. Of course, without saying, uh, of course, not, not Biden, definitely. Could you explain that a little bit? Biden, you know, let me tell you. So can I uh, elaborate on... Uh, Please. Biden uh, was very much uh, against Iraq when he won the elections. And then it turned out what the reasons were later on. However, on uh, in 19, uh, sorry, 2010, when the government was formed, not us by us, but by, the, by our rivals, Maliki and his co, Biden called me, called me and he said, he, was, he used to come twice a month at least to Iraq to convince us to, sh to let down the, the, the premiership. Uh, and I said, well, this is the Iraq, what the Iraq people have decided, so you can't, and we can't do it. Uh, unless there is a, a force of, of legging us, we, we, we won't be able to do it. Anyway, 2011, as we were discussing the, the issue of the uh, changing, uh, drawing down the, 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 the American forces in Iraq, Biden called me and he said, uh, what is your position on, on drawdown? I said, you are going to surrender Iraq 
gradually to, to Iran. We don't have a proper army, we don't have proper defenses, we don't have even the economy is ruined. And you did not allow now the people are really annoyed with, with the, the, the issue of democracy. That's why it's important for, uh, for us to maintain the presence of the United States and the international community. And it is important also, but I can't give you a, a definite answer because we have asked the prime minister to give us the answer to, to the presence of the American forces or not. Because he was a prime minister, he was the head of, uh, he was the minister of defense, he was the minister of interior at the same time, and the security council for, for Iraq, the Iraq security council. I said, why are you are questioning me? I said, because Maliki is frightened. He said, if I agree on keeping the American forces, Allah will turn hell on me in Iraq. I said, you are, I, I assume that you are recording this conversation and we are not going to turn on against him. But you have to call him back and tell him that I will tell him in the meeting, which we are having two days from now, that we will support his decisions, whether yes or no, for the extension of the forces, American forces. I said, but we are adamant that we should have a, a, a kind of uh, agreement on the rules of engagement for the forces. I said, that's, that's fine. But the meeting took place and Maliki was going in circles. We were about 18 ones uh, attending the meeting, the president and the uh, prime minister and so on. And uh, Maliki, uh, I think he, he promised them that he's going to, he was going to extend the, and because of me, he didn't want to extend, unless Biden convinced me otherwise. Uh, as he was going around, he, he didn't want to commit himself. I said, look, Mr. Maliki, uh, Biden called me. And I said, whatever decision you will take, we'll, we'll support. So it is your, your call now. It's not ours. So let us know exactly what, 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 what do you say? He said, no, I don't want any, any I want the, draw, the drawdown of the American forces in Iraq. And we are not going to have a new SOFA agreement. This was uh, in front of about 18 or 20, I can't remember the number of people around the discussions. The, the American ambassador then called me. I didn't see him for a week. Then I saw him. I just said, look, it's a matter of either you are playing a chicken and egg, an egg game with, with us, or you have a determined policy on how to support Iraq and how to make Iraq a much safer place. Unstable, please. With that, with, with the wealth you are doing, the diversification, the dismantling of the army, the dismantling of intelligence, we can't go ahead and defend for ourselves. But anyway, uh, Mr. Biden played negative roles in Iraq, whether in the succession of the elections and the, when we won the elections, and then by advocating partitioning the country, and then by uh, believing that Maliki needs to adjust himself and, uh, and make a decision on drawdown or not, not drawdown. 
I think uh, if you let me allow me to say that, unfortunately, during the last administration, and even the one before, the Americans did not have a post-conflict policy, what to do and what not to do, and not only in Iraq, but in the Middle East. And when I went myself to Mr. Mubarak, late Mubarak, uh, and King Abdullah of Jordan, and said that we should carry on a conference for the neighborhood of Iraq, as well as the P5, on the, on the level of ministers of foreign affairs, the late Mubarak said immediately, we will host the, the conference. And uh, I said, Kofi Annan can run it under the auspices of the UN. And uh, we, need to, we need to play a game of stabilizing the region by connecting the uh, internal politics to, to the regional policies, especially vis-a-vis -vis what Iran and then Syria was trying to do to undermine the, the Iraqi uh, situation. But again, uh, you know, all this went in, in, in vain, ultimately. We had the conference, it was a very successful conference, very productive. Iran attended and uh, Syria attended and all the rest and the, the Gulf Cooperation, as well as the Arab League, and it was under the auspices of, under the, the hosted by Egypt. But that's why we, we feel that Biden is not really too much concerned about Iraq and what Iraq should do and should not do. We think that Obama also is, I mean, uh, Trump is going the wrong way by, by saying that we want to draw down the forces in Iraq. We have now in Iraq a very formidable force of militias, much stronger than the army, very well equipped. I just can't see the Houthis in, in Yemen what they are doing. They have long-range missiles and so on. We have the same in Iraq, it's not similar. That's why I think America needs to revisit its policy, whoever comes to power, and re-examine their policies and, and, and attempt to, to really stabilize this whole region of the Middle East, including the peace process between Israelis and Palestinians. Otherwise, the, the whole region will be engulfed in, in struggles and problems, and it will definitely spill over into the, into the world, not only to the, to the neighboring countries. Uh, uh, Dr. Alawi, uh, you know, you've spoken eloquently about how the United States has a moral responsibility to stabilize not just Iraq, but the region. But of course, when you it's not just the region or Iraq that is engulfed, as you say, in struggles, it's also the United States. Yes. And we know that for you know, the past 15 years, it's almost become a bipartisan consensus, at least on the part of American voters, that the decision to invade Iraq and unseat Saddam Hussein was a bad decision from the standpoint of the American national interest, such that you have rare agreement really on the part of both parties in terms of not really wanting to deepen their involvement in Iraq. And you're calling for the United States to deepen its involvement in Iraq. So what no, is no. the political argument that you make no, to no. America? Yeah, sir, go ahead. Am I misunderstanding you? Yeah, yeah not, not deepen the involvement, but really to help in providing the stability of the region. How, what does that entail specifically in your view? Not, not fighting and not sending troops by deterrent, 
and by putting pressure on those who are trying to muddy the waters in the region, as they are putting pressure on Iran now, and they should be putting pressure on Turkey. This is what this is the answer, really. It's not the answer, and wallahi, we have done what we need and uh, what we can do, and goodbye to you, and uh, you will have to face your fate. Because if you look at the, 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 the events that have happened after the occupation, we were against the occupation. We were, supported, we were supporting a, an inside change of power by, by supporting the forces of change inside the country. And we told the Americans this, we told the British this, we told the, even the Russians this. But we, we don't think that the Americans should be involved in fighting. We should that they have used their, their, if you like, their presence in the international policy of the, of the United Nations to put pressure on those who are causing problems and forming problems in, uh, in, in the Middle East. And it's very obvious now. I mean, Iran is, is wreaking havoc on Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Bahrain, Palestine. And we don't want war, by the way, with Iran. We want, to, we want Iran to resort to kind of peaceful solutions and to supplement and to trade benefits with, with, the, with the region and with Iraq indeed, but not really to, to use its forces either in Yemen, nor in Syria, nor in uh, Lebanon, nor in Iraq. We, we don't want this. That's why this is where, the, uh, when I say the moral responsibility of the United States, lies on the decisions that can be taken in the United Nations and by the decisions that can be implementing uh, kind of sanctions on Iran. Selected sanctions, not to make the people miserable, but no, but to make the government of Iran suffering until they repent and decide to withdraw from the involvements that they are causing, the problems they are causing. So, the, Dr. Alawi, perhaps if we can ask you uh, uh, to clarify a little bit more on uh, the issue of Iran, which you very clearly highlighted as being one of the key challenges facing uh, Iraq moving forward. Now, uh, of course, it, it seems that the issue of uh, Iran's role in Iraq uh, is partly a function of U.S. policy towards uh, Iran. Now, you've criticized the Obama administration for leaving a vacuum uh, in Iraq, uh, which Iran uh, has moved to, uh, to, to fill. Uh, however, it, it seems that the maximum pressure policy adopted by the Trump administration uh, against Iran has turned Iraq into a sort of battlefield uh, between, Iraq, between Iran and the United States. In your view, what exactly should the United States do to contain Iranian influence in Iraq? Well, there are two, two routes that I can think of. The one is the, the getting to try and to squeeze Iran, politically speaking, not only the United States, but with the help of Russians, the help of Chinese, the help of other countries. This is number one squeezing Iran, politically speaking. And secondly, I think there should be some sanctions on certain individuals in Iran and maintaining the sanctions because what they are doing, creating sanctions, but at the same time, Iran is trying to siphon and 
passing by the the uh, I, I, I used turn by siphoning money from from Iraq through, through various means, including uh, siphoning uh, of uh, of oil uh, from from Iraq and selling it on under the banner of Iraqi oil or uh, smuggled in the in the Gulf uh, region. So I think those two areas, not not fighting Iran. I have uh, to be genuine, uh, to be realistic. I try to work towards another conference five years ago, six years ago, regional conference for stability, peace and stability in the region in the presence of Iran, Turkey and uh, Ethiopia to finalize the, the problems and to, to, to decide on a course of action that will stabilize things and then we will touch on the Palestinian issue, the Palestinian peace process uh, with, with, with Israel, but not, not during this conference, but lay the ground work to do this. And the British government agreed on this concept as well as the French government. And the British government sent me to, to, to Iraq after I came to London and I came to, to I went to France, sent me a, a minister in foreign affairs and he came to, uh, to and I said, squeeze, uh, the problem is that the Saudis would do not want to sit with the Iranians and the Iranians do not want to sit with the Saudis. But try to put pressure on both of them to sit together. So they came with an idea that uh, on the fringes of the, of the General Assembly meeting, uh, Obama will, uh, will call for a conference on uh, on uh, anti-extremist, anti, uh, anti anti-terrorist anti conference and uh, under the auspices of the United Nations. But two things happened then which destroyed the, the concept of this kind. I think that we should bring Iran as well as Turkey, as well as Ethiopia into a conference, regional conference, and to try and talk sense to them. But this is not happening because there is no real political pressure on Iran or on Turkey or on Ethiopia. Now the pressure is, is, is building up again. But I hope that the substitute for war and engaging Iran in a war is really engaging them in a, a fruitful, because Iran also is tired now from the antagonism of the stability in the region. And that's tired because of the sanctions that are taking place in Iran. Well, the sanctions are biting. We know firsthand that sanctions are biting. And that's why they are turning more and more towards Iraq for help, because they have about 1,200 kilometers borders with Iraq. But these are the ideas that the, the, the new administration of the United States should, should entertain and think about seriously and try to work a kind of modules, A, B, C, uh, A, if the conference works, if not, then the sanctions would increase, would have to increase, and the pressure, political pressure on Iran would, would uh, but this would involve also getting uh, the, the understanding of the Russians. I recall very well uh, when we, uh, when we, uh, before the Geneva II conference, we went to, I belong to a, a body, uh, the, uh, the 
Arab International uh, Council of Relations. We went to see uh, the Russians, Putin. And I suggested instead of uh, having uh, uh, the four countries involved in the Syrian problem, to have uh, the P5 plus the four countries, plus adding another two, one European and one Arab country. And I suggested Jordan, because it's mostly affected by And Putin agreed to this concept. And he said, yes, this is a very good concept. So we stopped on the way back in Ankara. We spoke the, to the prime minister, was Erdogan then. And he was very convinced that this is the, the way forward. So really, we need to, to tackle the situation either politically through a conference, as we did in Sharm el-Sheikh. The, the Iranians before Sharm el-Sheikh, which hosted, was hosted by President Mubarak, late Mubarak, the Iranians thought that they will be next on the agenda after Saddam was overthrown, that they'll be next on the agenda. Of, and I told them, they came to see me. I said, no, Khatami came to see me. I was the president of Iran. I said, no, the Americans do not harbor any animosity towards you or towards anybody else. But they had a problem with Saddam and they were asked by the Iraqi people to help and so they helped, but they did the wrong thing in the occupation and dismantling Iraqi and the power of Iraq. Uh, <clears throat> he agreed, they agreed to come to the conference. It was on the level of Minister of Foreign Affairs. And they were very, very, very productive in the meeting. And, uh, and likewise, Syria, by the way. And the Arab uh, and the P5 also were there uh, in Egypt. So I think there are ways of structuring the policy towards preventing the ball from expanding and then uh, blowing up. I, 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 otherwise, if you leave the situation as is now, it will definitely blow up. Dr. Alawi, just, um, you know, before we open it up to questions from the audience, we wanted to just uh, also make sure to talk a little bit about the internal situation in Iraq in some depth. But before we move to that, I think if uh, a listener who uh, uh, was asked to summarize your answer to the question, what should the United States do to fulfill what you believe to be its moral responsibility to help Iraq, um, they would say that, well, uh, Dr. Alawi really emphasized that the United States needs to do a lot of things to contain Iran, to get Iran to stop meddling in Iraqi politics. Um, and that, that could be part of the answer, but then they might also think, well, what about these other problems that Iraq faces? The fact that it has a very weak state apparatus, the fact that Iraq is racked by sectarianism, the fact that Iraq's political leaders are floridly corrupt. Is there a role for the United States to address, help Iraqis address that, those problems? And what is the US role in helping Iraqis address those problems, the, if there the, is one? These problems were resulted from the American policies in Iraq. Right, so, but that happened. So now what's the, what is Dr. Ayed Alawi's argument? Sorry? So, Dr. Ayed, what do you say to Americans that they need to do oh, in order to correct those? Uh, to, to correct the, the no, they, they shouldn't interfere in these uh, issues. 
the Americans. They should only interfere on the level of, Amer of, of Iran and level of Turkey and the peace process between the Palestinians. These are the most important issues. And once this is resolved, the Iraqis can take up, you know, if there is no Iranian support to militias, there is no sectarianism anymore in Iraq. Finished. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Your, your diagnosis of the problem is clear. Just one question before we move to the next. You, you've invoked the Palestinian-Israeli conflict a couple of times. What's the connection peace between... I mentioned the peace process, not the conflict. Fair enough. Sorry. That's, I'm the one who said conflict. The <laughs> peace process, uh, Dr. Alawi. Um, can you just spell out for us the direct connection between that peace process and stability in Iraq? So it's uh, you know the, the region countries of the region are connected to each other very 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 strongly. What happens in Syria bounces to spill over into Iraq. What happens in Lebanon bounces to spill over into Syria. What happens in Iraq bounces to spill over in, in, to, to Syria and to Jordan and so on. So really, the, the region is very well connected. The Palestinian issue remains a very important issue, at, at, at a prime issue really in, in Iraq. And, and as, as to, we have to find a settlement for this peace process. So are we, are we to infer? A durable peace, a durable peace uh, and uh, a just peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Oh, I have no objection on this at all. That's why we want the help of America on strategic issues, not to get involved with sectarianism and I don't know or come on, who won the elections and who did not win. America went very, very, very far in, in, in depth when Biden used to come twice a month to, to convince me to shut power and to refuse the, the, the premiership. Right, right. right. So, America. so Dr. Alawi, before, before we just move on, are we to infer from your comments about uh, the Palestinian issue that you are personally not a supporter of the recent Abraham Accords between... No. I'm a supporter, but, but, but we need to get for the Palestinians something else. What are we going to do for the Palestinians? Because ultimately what will happen, the terrorist, terrorism will recruit Palestinians and other Muslims saying that, wallahi, uh, the, the, uh, the Palestinian issue and Jerusalem is sold to, to, to the Jewish people. This is not right. We need the peace process. The, you know, the conflict all in the region is between moderation and extremism, including uh, this is the, the conflict, the basis of the conflict. We need the United States and the international community, not only the United States, to help with the, with the global, not the issues, the small issues, who won the elections and to interfere in the elections and to help this guy, guy or that guy no, we want them to really look at the, at, the, at the board as a whole and try to reach to a conclusion how to formulate a policy whereby the Palestinians would not be the burnt uh, and they will be part of the, of the solution and they will get what they want, with, with especially the, after the uh, agreements and the and the, uh, the uh, United Nations and the Arab Leagues and the Arab summits. And also Iran should, should refrain from intervening. The issue of sectarianism will finish, automatically will end up. 
and corruption will will go. The corrupt people will go to the courts, and خلاص, we are finished. But this is not the function of the Americans. Right, right. So, so as I understand it, the the way that you bring in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is that this is a an issue that gives Iran some mobilizing leverage or some credibility. It's already got it. Barif, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, was in Iraq a few months ago, and he wanted to see me on my own. I said, no, we'll see you with other people, and I saw him. I said, why are you giving rockets and missiles to Hezbollah and to Hamas, to Israel, to complicate the issues? This was, I had six, seven people with me, and he had five, five six people with him. I said, what are you doing? I said, I want the non-belligerence non, non, non uh, agreement with the Arabs. I said, what have you done on this? I said, I spoke to Yusuf Al-Alawi, the foreign minister of Oman, and I wrote an article. I said, you wrote a letter to the great Satan, to the United States, asking them to discuss the issue of nuclear issue. And now you don't write a letter to the Arab ministers of foreign affairs. Why don't you do it? And have three components your letter. First, to zero any problems. You have problems with us. You have problems with the, the Emirates and so on. And then, based on this, the non-belligerent should, should include the, the countries and their extensions. You don't use Hamas and Hezbollah to fight. Right. And thirdly, to threat benefits, that's all. He said, yes, it's a good idea, I'll initiate a letter. I don't know whether he did it the letter or not. Hmm. But you know, you have to reason with people. You have to put them under pressure. You have to listen to the, to the major concern and address the major concerns and then go into the details, which is not entitled by the United States to go into details or Britain or France or Russia or anybody else. These are the, the, but we don't want Iran to use the power that it has gained because of the American keeping a blind eyes on the Iranian movements in Iraq, and then Iran having the upper hand and deciding what to do and what not to do. No. Fair enough. So, so Dr. Alawi, we've talked a lot about geopolitics so far, and in the few minutes we have remaining before we open it up to questions from the audience, we wanted to talk about a little bit about domestic politics in Iraq. And, um, you know, as many of our listeners probably know, for about a year now, Iraq has been uh, experiencing a protest movement against government corruption and sectarianism and foreign influence. And we'd love to get your perspective on where do you see this protest movement now and where do you see this movement heading? Well, this movement will, will, uh, will expand, will increase. All the ingredients are there for the, for the expansion of this movement. This movement is taking place in the Shia areas, mostly dominated by Shias, the south of Iraq and the parts of Baghdad. But of course, this uh, threatens Iran, and that's why the Iranians are trying to mobilize their forces to suppress uh, the, the demonstrations. And until now, about six to 700 people have been killed, let alone those who are injured. I'm ready and happy to send you pictures. I support the demonstrations, the peaceful demonstrations. And I say to them, I say to the president, you have to meet them. I said to the prime minister, you have to meet them. And we can't ignore the demands of the people. And we are talking about millions of people. 
So I think, first of all, the demonstrations will expand. It will also spill over, not only in the Shiite area, but in the Sunni areas, sooner rather than later. Salah al-Din, Karkuk, Nainawa will, will revolt again, uh, will demonstrate, uh, but peaceful demonstrations. And secondly, the government would be not able to be uh, able of, of orchestrating or demonstrating an election, a new elections in Iraq. So here we are coming to a head-on collision between the demonstrators mm. and the as far as I know, the demonstrators are now engaged in trying to form a, a front for, 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 for the various groups who are involved in the demonstrations. But I can give you real hard figures. Uh, Iraq needs uh, 24 million documents of elections for the for the uh, biometric elections, hmm. 24 millions. What we have now is 77% of this ready. And out of the 77%, only 50% out of the 77%. Out of 50%, the, the documents have been given to the ballot stations. And 50% are not being distributed yet. Hmm. So really, the, the elections are not going to resolve the issues. Hmm. But once Iran stops the heavy interference and in what's happening in Iraq, then I think the Iraqis will be able to resolve this. The government uh, is trying to buy time. is not working on a, a very clear structured policies forward. They're trying to buy time to do things here, to do things there, on a haphazard basis. This is not, uh, not what is Iraq required. Plus, the fact that they have found themselves are uh, between the nutcracker, between Iran on the one side and America on the other side. Mm -hmm. This is, again, causing a lot of madness, politically speaking, in, in Iraq. And then, as we are drifting, the increase of problems between the uh, Kurdistan region, which is more stable than the rest of Iraq, and the rest of Iraq. Uh, we are going to see more corruption. Uh, the situation remains as is. We are going to see much more people who are coming, either representing Iran or representing foreign powers or regional foreign powers. Uh, it's, it's a big picture. That's why. We need the help of the international community. As I said, and let me reiterate this, to put a stop on Iran involvement by hook or crook, by pressure or by convincing, hmm. but not to get interference in this one. And America leaves the, the Iraq and, and the, the, of course, the Allied forces with America. Then I assure you, you will have problems throughout the Middle East and also in the United States and also in, in Europe, believe me, either through refugees or sleeping cells or whatever. That's why it's a fight for the future of the world, really, in a way. This is how I see it.
that that's a fairly uh, dramatic uh, uh, um, uh, warning. Uh, Karim, you had the next question. Uh, Dr. Alawi, I, I think uh, what you outlined in, in terms of the dynamics uh, in Iraq um, really uh, lead, lead us to ask you about uh, the future of your political vision for Iraq mo moving forward. Now, you, you have been very vocal in uh, advocating for a secular Iraq, uh, for a, an inclusive political order in Iraq, for, for all Iraqis, regardless of religious, sect, or uh, ethnicity. And, and yet, the Iraqi National Accord uh, today only holds a small number of seats uh, in the uh, Iraqi legislature. Um, do, do you think that is reflective of a lack of belief in the political project uh, that you have advocated so forcefully for? And if you could also touch on whether you think you should have received more support from the United States in supporting uh, that vision. No, we, we don't need the, the support. We need the support of the United States vis-a-vis -vis Iran and the control of Iran and to help us on Iran. But let me tell you something very important. Whatever the demonstrations are chanting now, is really is our vision. They don't want sectarianism. They want a secular Iraq. They don't want religion to be interfering in, in Iraq's affairs. They don't want Iran. They don't want America to interfere in the details of, of, of issues in, in, in Iraq. If you follow up the, the demonstrations and the slogans of the demonstrations. So really what we have uh, cultivated is, is, is now mushrooming, getting larger and larger. And the, the population of Iraq are ch chanting uh, Iran barra barra, Baghdad sarat hurra. And Karbala Sarat Hurra, Iran Barra Barra, and Najaf. And these are holy shrines, Najaf and Karbala. And yet the demonstrations are very fearful in, in, in Karbala and Najaf. But really, the, the ideas of, of, of secularity, which we injected into the, into the whole system in Iraq, and I argued with the Americans and with the Allied forces that. No, no Shia can rule Iraq, no Sunni can rule Iraq, no Christian can rule Iraq, no Qad, no Arab. It has to be run by Iraqis, secular Iraqis. Now it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, as the tide is, uh, is, is very much uh, flared up. That's why I tell you frankly and with all honesty, I was disillusioned a year ago very much disillusioned with the way that Iraq is being run when Adil Abdel Mahdi and I was the Prime Minister and I told him this. But what brought my interest back really is the demonstrations which were spontaneous, but the same slogans that we used and we stood for and we lost the elections on 2018 because only 20% of the people went to the ballot boxes not 20% uh, only out of the electoral force uh, in Iraq. That's why I'm, I feel very pleased, very happy that what we have said turned out to be right. And the Iraqis are rallying now along these points, very much so. And there are six, 700 people so far have been killed. 
and uh, many injured and many disappeared, even women and young women. And, and, and if you look at the, at the age structure of demonstrations, you'll, you'll find that mostly are between up to, to 40 years old, from 18 to 40 years old. So this is the new generation of Iraq, which is believing in secularity of the country, which is very important. D Dr. Alawi, it, it seems as if um, your answer to uh, uh, Karim, part of Karim's question, which was, you know, why does uh, your party, uh, you know, not have more seats in the legislature? Part of your answer would be that very few Iraqis went to vote in the last election. That in, your, your argument is that, in fact, most people believe our ideas, but very few people went to vote. And the natural follow-up question is, well, if most Iraqis want the things that your party is calling for, why didn't they go to vote? What is preventing the Iraqis from seeing you and your party as the vehicle for the achievement of their aspirations? Prevented. Many of the air regions in Iraq were flooded with water. They were prevented from going to the ballot boxes. And, and uh, there was gross, very gross, very clear uh, manipulation of the ballot boxes. And also militias control the ballot in some certain areas, the ballot boxes. But what can they do? And, uh, and many people were either harassed or uh, threatened or arrested. Even, even now, now uh, we, we still have the same position. We are secular, we are not sectarian. We want Iraq for the Iraqis. We don't want any differences between two Iraqis. We want a, a civic state and a, and a, a, a civic state and a citizenship state for all, all Iraqis. <clears throat> but what we are, until now we are threatened by assassination, by arrests, by, we are oppressed. And unfortunately, the, uh, the international community knows about this very well, but they are not doing anything. And those who are doing this from the militias, if you look at the, uh, if you dissect the anatomy of the elections of 2018, you will see Baghdad, almost half of Baghdad were controlled by the militias, the ballot boxes. The, the uh, IHEC is very sectarian. It represents powers that are uh, sectarian, completely sectarian. We don't have a single one in the, in the, in the IHEC. The, the, this is the secretariat of the elections. But that's why we, we, uh, we are suffering. But we see that the Iraqi people now have changed their attitude. They are more aggressive. They are more outspoken. And they are much more vocal and ad ad advocating uh, secularism. Yeah. Doctor, uh, if, uh, b before we open it up to questions from uh, our audience, if I could uh, take you back to uh, wh where we started, which is with, with the issue of the relationship between Iraq and, and the United States. Because it, it seems to me, if, if I can sum up your remarks, uh, th there seems to be a dilemma uh, here uh, because on the one hand you look to the United States to play a strategic role uh, in Iraq and you've been very clear 
on what the parameters of that role should be. Uh, but this comes at precisely the time when the United States seems uh, either unwilling or unable uh, to play that role. I mean, President Trump uh, popularized the slogan of ending endless wars. And there seems to be a widespread sentiment in the United States against active involvement in the Middle East in general, and I think that would include Iraq uh, in particular. If you had to make the case to uh, an American audience about why the United States uh, should assume that role, what would you say? Well, I would say very clearly that the world would not be in, 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 in peace, not only this part of the world, the Middle East, but the whole world will not be in peace if the, the, the Middle East is in turmoil. And America is required to help strategically, uh, either by convincing or by pressure, not by war and going to wars. And I, I told the Americans this, and I said it in the media, that we don't want a new war in Iraq, and that's why we support the, the issue of the uh, peaceful resolution for the peace process between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And that's why we, we, we are turning really now to Europe to see whether Europe is ready, because Europe is feeling the pinch more than the Americans. Every day there are assassinations in Europe, every now and then, by extreme forces, forces of extreme, like what happened in France in the last two, two or three days. And we are turning also to, to uh, trying to turn to the Russians to see what they can do and how they can convince Iran. Well, the, to, to, to convince Iran not to, to fight with Iran, but to convince Iran that their, their, their way of, of engagement is wrong. If we lose faith in America, if America decides not to withdraw, they don't want to commit themselves, which I think is a shame, really. Because what happens in Iraq now is a result of the American involvement. Continuous involvement, occupation, followed by interference, on the, to the small details. And you can ask Biden himself, why did you go to Iraq to, to prevent the Iraqi from forming the government? Yes. It's very clear now, especially from the emails of, uh, of uh, Clinton, uh, Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton when she was foreign minister. Uh, Putin told me in uh, 2010, he saw he was prime minister then, but he was running the uh, Russian Federation. He said, I met uh, Clinton. And she said, I love want to be able to form a uh, government. He said, why? Uh, she, she told him that we, don't, we wouldn't get uh, sufficient votes in the parliament. I said, okay, let them try. And secondly, she said, because Iran would, would create problems. This was 2010. Mr. Putin told me, and Sabah al-Ahmad, the late uh, Emir of Kuwait, told me this. And Mubarak also, the late Mubarak. Mm. Uh, really, uh, then it turned out to be true what happened, that the Americans were, the administration, were trying to prevent Iraqia from formation of the government. And I think if the government had been formed by Iraqi, 
sectarianism would have disappeared and Daesh would not occur. Daesh, even Daesh would not, would happen. Because after this in 2011, Daesh and their thousands escaped from prison and prisons in Iraq. That's why we don't want an interference by the Americans or anybody else rather on the, the, the minute policies. But we want them on a grand scale to convince people that let live and let live. Khalas, we don't need anything else. Uh, this, this is a good time for us, I think, to uh, allow uh, the audience uh, to engage with uh, Your Excellency. And so uh, what uh, I'm going to encourage everybody to do is if you have a question of uh, uh, Dr. Adlawi, please use the raise hand function in Zoom. And then I will uh, call on you in the order in which you ask questions and uh, will uh, invite you to unmute yourself. Uh, if you're not comfortable asking a question directly, you can always uh, uh, message uh, me directly and I'll ask the question on your behalf. Okay, so I, th I have one hand up. Uh, um, one second, let me figure out how to do this. Okay, go ahead, sir. You, you need to unmute yourself. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hello, Dr. Alawi. Uh, thank you very much. It is a great pleasure to, to be able to learn from you um, and hear your perspective. And I did want to uh, ask a question about the Abraham Accords, because from my understanding, part of Arab nationalism has always kind of been the support of the Palestinian cause. And I understand that um, peaceful processes and these ways of normalizing relations are better than nothing. But do you see that as kind of an abandonment of the historical position to support Palestinians that is often expressed through opposition to Israel? No, no, I don't see this. On the contrary, I think the Palestinians have moved great and very long steps towards agreeing on the peace process and engaging with Israel on the peace process. And you can ask Hanan Ashrawi when she comes uh, to the, inshallah, she, she feels better after the, her incident. That the peace process now is, have divided the Palestinians between Hamas and the extremists and between those who want a peace process like Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas and the, the PLO, the, the administration. And I think that this should be encouraged. And the, the only encouragement is to find solution for the population of Palestine, what to do with them, where to, to go, what to do, where to go, how to live. And, and uh, I know that the international community have agreed once upon a time on the issue of the two states, a Palestinian and uh, an Israeli, not the same. They must find through the peace process, not through fighting, through the peace process, an accommodation. Which one is better? Which one is doable? Which one is not doable? And I think the, 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 the mistake here is to engage with Egypt and with Sudan and with the UAE and with Iraq and with I don't know, and leave the Palestinians because this will be used tremendously by Iran to, to manipulate the, some of the Palestinians, as they have done with the Hamas, and to try and muddy the waters more than they are muddying the waters now. I told Zarif myself, 
you, I, I said, you have no right to supply uh, Hamas and uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon with missiles to Israel. We have a peace process. We should allow the peace process to grow, to strengthen and to, to, to address and to be a just peace process. But this is what we say. It's not a matter of Arab nationalism. And we are more realistic. Uh, we see Israel as, uh, when I tell you, when we were 14, 15 years old, yes, we were thinking of different things. But now it's different. We are seeing politics from a different angle. Marial politics, uh, and Israel is there to, to, to stay, but uh, also the Palestinians are there to stay. We can't throw them in the sea and say, oh, the sea will engulf you, goodbye to you. So we have to find a solution through, through a peace process. That's why I define the peace process, not the conflict. You know, on, on this particular issue, I mean, you've expressed your view of Mr. Biden, uh, but on this particular issue, it sounds like Mr. Biden might be closer to your preferences than Mr. Trump. I hope so. I hope he's enlightened to see, to see what my issues are. Okay. Okay. Let, let me get some more questions here. The next uh, question I have is from Dr. David Patel of Brandeis University, one of our most gifted scholars of Iraq. Go ahead, Dr. Patel. I will. Uh, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful, uh, wonderful talk. I'm wondering. How do you see the new districting, the new subdivision of the governance in Iraq affecting the coalitions leading up to the next election and uh, the results of those? And secondly, is kind of relatedly, is your party taking any position on this intra-Sunni Arab split that's trying to unseat Halbusi as a Speaker of Parliament? No, no, we're not taking part on this. We don't take part in, uh, you know, we do, uh, our parts really as to deplore sectarianism and to deplore corruption and to lay the groundwork for just elections and fair elections. And even I said that a fair election is enough to be 65% fair. We don't win 70 or 80 or 90%, so 65. So we don't go into these details, well, who is angry with who and who wants to take it. Because I think, all the parliament is illegitimate, I believe. I, that's why I resigned from parliament. I'm not a member of parliament anymore. Because a, a maximum 20% of the electoral went to, to elect the parliament. 20% only. Well, what kind of legitimacy this gives you? 20%. Plus the 20% are divided. Shi'i and extreme Shi'i and uh, militias and uh, Sunnis and extreme Sunnis and Daeshis and I don't know what. So really, it's, it's a matter of uh, of getting the our our priority right. Our priorities really is to have a fair elections uh, and to get uh, all all what's happening now behind us. And I told, by the way, I told Adil Adil Mahdi and I told Mustafa Al-Kadhani, I said, why don't you engage the demonstrators and engage the unions and, and associations, as well as the parliament, as well as the political forces. So I have three components. The demonstrators, who are in millions, representatives of them, and the, and the political uh, groups of, of Iraq and also 
the unions and uh, which is very established, well established uh, institutions in Iraq and associations, trades union, uh, lawyers union, and, and so on. And, and create a government which encompasses the whole, these three groups. And this would work uh, very gradually, but definitely it will work towards a better elections in the future. But they didn't do it. They were under pressure from the militias. And they told me this. And that's why Adil al-Mahdi resigned, because he couldn't face this, the militias and, uh, and their demands. And Mustafa al-Kalami is squeezed now. And he is not able, he doesn't have a platform. He's unable to run the country. And Iraq is going to the abyss. Um, uh, uh, our next question, Dr. Alawi, is from uh, Matt Bueller, a former fellow of the Harvard Middle East Initiative and a professor at the University of Tennessee. Matt Bueller? Matt Bueller. Go ahead. Matt, are you unmuted? Okay, I've, I've lost him. I think he's lost his connection. So I'll, while we're trying to figure that out, I'll go to uh, Senior Fellow of the Middle East Initiative, uh, Rami Khouri. Thank you. And um, thank you, Stadayad Shakomako. My father served as his last job as head of the UN Information Center in Baghdad in the 1970s, and I spent a couple of summers there. Allah. I wanted to ask you, um, given your experience and your many contacts around the region, and you're living through these last 20, 30 years of uh, erratic politics all over the Arab world, do you feel possibly that one of the mistakes that has been made in Iraq, as well as in many other Arab countries, has been to go move too quickly? to national elections before Absolutely. allowing the societies to form the institutions and to negotiate informally to allow the kind of consensus government that you're talking about? I think, you know, frankly speaking, uh, the whole story started with Iraq. And to throw Iraq into immediately to, to I, I did not want the, the political forces in Iraq suggested to me in a memo that they need to two years at least before the elections takes place until they organize themselves and i was in favor of this but i have given my word that it's an interim government and uh, once we do the elections i'm not uh, i refused i said i will agree on this provided that you find another prime minister and the governing council should elect a new prime minister they rejected this so we did the elections, and I feel very sorry because I went with the elections in the way I that we did. The first election was very, was, was very transparent, no problem. I allowed uh, the UN to choose the, the, the IHEC for the Tihabat. No interference from Iraq at all. So there wasn't a Sunni, a Shia, a Christian, I don't know what. It was an Iraqi, pure Iraqi, very capable Iraqi group. And I supported them myself. And uh, really what happened is uh, downfall after I left. Downfall of Iraq went sloping down. And once Iraq was lost as a country, the whole Middle East went into, into then came the, the so-called 
Arab Spring, which is not a spring. The Arab bloody uh, autumn rather than spring. And also it was encouraged by our friends in the United States, by really pushing the Arabs into, and I told Bush once, uh, George Bush, I said, look, you can't have a photocopy of, of what you have in America and Iraq. We are just still beginning. We have been living for 40 years under dictatorship, complete dictatorship. How can we go into democracy, full-blown democracy immediately? So I think there was lots of mistakes. I don't want to go into the mistakes that was committed by the United States and the occupation and, and, uh, and so on. But really, we respect, we share a lot of common grounds with the United States. Rule of law, freedom of speech. Uh, most importantly, we see ourselves as moderates, not extremists. And we see the United States as a moderate country. And the American people are moderates. So that's why we, we feel that we need the support of the United States, not in the integrity of uh, politics, but in the general, general strategy to highlight to Iran and to introduce this in the Security Council also. Why not? To say that Iran has to refrain from interfering in, in, in the matters of Iraq and Yemen and Lebanon and Syria. And they can refer to the speeches of the Iranians themselves when they say, Wallahi, we rule four or five uh, capitals. We rule Beirut, we rule Damascus, we rule Baghdad, we rule Sana'a. It's not only. But that's why there were a series of mistakes committed by our American friends. That's why I say there is a moral obligation as well as legal obligation by the United States to help this region, because this region really, in a way, is in the center of the world. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the cardinal the, uh, who died, passed away, Delhi. He thought, he believed that the Americans were trying to vacate the, uh, the Christians from Iraq and from the Middle East. He told me this personally. But we, we, we can't have this, we can't have a, 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 a Christian and a Shia and a Sunni and a Kurd and a and a Shabaki and I don't know what. We have to have an Iraqi citizen. You may be Christian, you may be Shia, you may be Muslim, but we, first of all, you are Iraqi citizen. That's what we need to do. And this is our function, not the Americans. They can't dictate it. There is a body in, in Europe uh, for dialogue religious dialogue. They wanted to see me, I refused. I said to see me, well, what? We don't want you to interfere. We don't have problem. I don't have problem. I, I studied in an American Jesuit school called Kulit Baghdad, if you know it. We didn't have any, you know, there were Christians, there were Jewish people, Shias, Sunnis. We, we never felt that there is any difference between, between each. Now you have to, to, and that's why the Iraqis now, the demonstrations, are calling for a secular Iraq. No Iran, no influence, not even America, not to intervene. Th th thank you for that, uh, Dr. Alawi. The, we're going to have, we're coming on the end of our time, so this is going to be the last question from uh, Professor Bueller at the University of Tennessee. Go ahead. So, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, thank you very much for, for, your, for your talk. 
Given that Iraqi uh, Kurdistan has achieved greater stability and economic growth compared to other areas of Iraq, uh, do you see the region over the next 10 to 15 years uh, either seeking full independence as a sovereign nation, uh, seeking even greater autonomy within the Iraqi state, maintaining its current status, or perhaps uh, seeking greater integration with the broader Iraqi state? Thank you. Second, I think more autonomy. I think so. Uh, Masoud al-Barazani is a very dear friend of mine, and I engage with him. We were very, very close to each other since very early days. And I told him, I said, look, if you want a, a, a consensus to, to separate from Iraq, you won't get it. You won't get it. Maybe, maybe the Kurds will vote for it, for this. But you won't get it because the, neither the Americans, nor the Russians, nor the British, nor the Iraqis, nor the Arabs, nor Turkey, nor Iran are ready to accept this, nor Baghdad. So it's better for you to take it gradual and graduation and work towards more autonomy for Kurdistan. It's better. He agreed then, and he sent me a letter on my, my initiative. And I went, I took the letter and I went and saw, I saw King Abdullah II as the head of the Arab summit. And I said, you have to get Abadi and Mas'ud Barazani together. And to give Mas'ud a way out of what he did on the consensus on the, on the, uh, in Kurdistan. And let them meet together in your, in your house, either for lunch or dinner, and let them fight. But at least let them resolve the issue. And let Masoud go back uh, with an honorable way out of what he... So the king agreed. Agreed, and Masoud agreed to come to Jordan, to Haqqaba. Uh, I recall uh, it was on Wednesday he agreed to come. But Abadi refused. He said, Mas'ud have to apologize from me, from Abadi, from the Kurds, and from the Iraq. I said, what's this? Are we fighting, apologize one from the other, or on the unity of Iraq? So I think really what we need to do is, is through dialogue and through friendly and brotherly and uh, encompassing the Kurds, of course. They are part and parcel of Iraq to have more autonomy and, uh, and their slogan since uh, I was uh, involved in politics was the democracy for Iraq and the uh, self-autonomy for Kurdistan. Fine, we don't have, I don't have a quarrel with this. And, but uh, this should be done in a mutually agreed way and in a pro progressive way. I can't see, but I can't see them secession and forming a government yet, I don't know, in 20, 30 years what will happen. And I don't see them becoming under the control of Baghdad completely. That's why I think uh, autonomy, more autonomy is, is better. Dr. Alawi, I think we could probably spend another two hours talking with you and um, absorbing your wisdom, not just on the situation in Iraq, but also what you're seeing in the United States and America's changing role in the region and in the world. Um, and so I hope that you will, once this pandemic is over, uh, do us the honor of coming and visiting us here at Harvard so that we can 
continue this discussion. My pleasure. You know, I always would like to come to Egypt. I know Sisi very well. I come and see him every now and then. I love Egypt. I love the Egyptian people. My wife, in fact, studies medicine in Egypt, in Ain Shams. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Well, I'm definitely Egyptian, but the, uh, I'm located in the United States. And so we'd love to have you come to, to Harvard, or you can join uh, my co-pilot my co in this endeavor, Kareem Haggag at the AUC in Cairo. I so we'll do both. I can go to Cairo and I can come to, to, to Harvard. To, to Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Alawi. Kareem, any last words before we part? Now, just to echo what uh, Tariq mentioned, uh, Dr. Alawi, uh, I think we, we owe you a, a deep sense of gratitude, not only for your insight, but also for uh, your candor uh, in, in your conversation with us this afternoon. And I think uh, Tariq and I will reach a peaceful settlement on uh, which of us <laughs> host you first uh, after this conversation. We'll, we'll do AUC first, because I'm also affiliated with AUC. Um, well, you know, I tell you, I am very proud that I have known you now, and I have heard of you before. Uh, Hajjaj, especially, I have heard of you, and, uh, and you know, I, I like what you are doing, and this is a really a good insight into, into the Americans' mentality and thoughts. We don't want America to feed, spoon feed us. This is very wrong. Absolutely, I'm against this completely. Well, well, thank you, Dr. Alawi, for, for, uh, for, for helping us uh, engage in this series of conversations. Absolutely. I think the message that you delivered really came through very clearly. And inshallah, this is the beginning of a conversation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if we were all in the same location, uh, we would now be drowning uh, Dr. Alawi in thunderous applause. But uh, I know that you all uh, share the gratitude towards him that uh, Ambassador Haggag and I share. So thank you all for coming and we'll see you again next week when we will be meeting with the Iraqi uh, uh, journalist uh, Mina Al-Urebi in this series of conversations. Very, very nice lady. Wonderful. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This has been Middle East Matters. I'm your host, Tarek Masood. Special thanks to Patrick and Daniel Lazor for music and to the incredible team at the Middle East Initiative, Julia Martin, Ava Weber, and Michaela Bennett. To stay abreast of new episodes, please subscribe to Middle East Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other quality streaming services. See you next time.